0: Together. Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show.
1: My name is Marva Carassi Andor. I'm honored to stand before you. I'm honored to be a daughter of i And honored to be worthy of the stone. A stranger. feels as if I can see him. I was six, I think. First time I touched a funerary stone. Heard our music. Felt our history. Holding my sister's hand as we walked all the way from Fountain Square. Where you stand now, I've been more times than I can remember. I always wanted to be lifted. I was always eager, always waiting to be inspired. I remember every time it happened, every time the dead lifted me. Uh, With their truth. I'm dead. And I yearn to lift you. Not because I want to shine or even be remembered. It's because I want you to go on. I want Felix to continue. In my waning hours, that's what comforts me most. But I fear for you. We've been sleeping. We've had each other and ferries, our work, our days. We had each other and they left us alone. We kept the trade lanes open and they left us alone. We took their money and ignored them. We kept their engines turning and the moment they pulled away, we forgot them. Because we had each other. We had ferries. sleeping. I've been sleeping. I've been turning away from a truth I wanted not to face. There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into everything, everything around us. We let it grow and now it's here. It's here and it's not visiting anymore. The empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we sleep. It's easy for the dead to tell you to fight. And maybe it's true, maybe fighting's useless. Perhaps it's too late. I this. If I could do it again, I'd wake up early and be fighting these bastards from the start. Fight the Empire! Hello! Yo!
2: What is going on? Happy Tuesday, Kansas City, my fellow KC Morning Hoes. What's the word? You good? Yeah, well, you're about to be great. You know why? Because Tuesdays on this show, we take back America. You, me, Professor Harvey J.K., the good Professor Harvey J.K., Professor Emeritus over at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. It's still holiday season for me and Professor K. He's got grandkids. I have dogs so we're trying to get our holiday schedules synced up as of right now though our plan is to chat sunday maybe monday morning so then we can chat a little bit about the chiefs taking on the packers but like i said yes on the show today one of my favorite episodes did this back in august of 2022 Assisted by the great Langston Hughes, myself and Professor K, breaking down Freedom's Plow. Me and Professor K sound incredible, if I may say so myself. I mean, I guess I just did. So enjoy, my friends. Rate, review, subscribe, do that thing you do. It is a good day to be a Kansas Cityan. We will see you in the morning. Bye.
1: Eleventh, nineteen seventy. Victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City
0: Chiefs. TV9 News Special Report: Close up the flood of seventy-seven from the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. It's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas
1: Cityans must decide what
2: happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riot?
0: I am here at the American Royal
1: World Series of Barbecue.
0: Daryl Motley awaits and the Kansas City Royals are world champions
1: <laughs> Professor
2: Harvey brother he is professor emeritus over at the university of wisconsin green bay and every week on this show every tuesday myself and professor harvey k we take back america reclaiming that radical progressive history we've always got it it's pretty damn good we should probably go back to that thing but you know what we're gonna do on the show today sweet poetry on your kc morning show how's that sound professor k must be trap
0: Oh, Harvey K. Where'd those pipes come from? Well, I had a big choice to make about 40 years ago. Would I become a pro wrestler, a singer, or a historian?
2: <laughs> your wrestling gimmick could have been the singing professor. It was right there. That could have been your character. No, that's right. <laughs> There's no off-season when you and I take back America. Every week, we try to reclaim this radical thing. But you know what? If you're always on 11, it's exhausting. It's not sustainable, Harvey K. So that's why this week, we're going to slow things down a bit. This man, one of my
0: favorites, one of your all-time favorites, the great Langston Hughes. And our regular Tuesday folk will remember that we previously have addressed what may well be one of the finest historically grounded poems in American history itself. And that is Let America Be America Again by Langston Hughes. That was a poem that I every year when I'd start my full course, historical perspectives on American democracy, I would hand that out early in the semester, sometimes the very first day. And I say, just keep this poem at hand because it's poetry. But Langston Hughes and I tend to see history in very similar, if not the exactly same way. Now, this is another poem we're going to deal with today, titled Freedom's Plow. I made a mistake on my original tweet announcing it, that it's the Freedom Plow, but it's not. It's Freedom's Plow. It's a poem written by Langston Hughes, published in April 1943. So it's in the middle of the war against fascism. And let's not forget that however much segregation characterized far too much of American life, the war effort involved everyone. In some fashion. And he was decidedly speaking in this poem in terms of both the war effort and the struggle at home to bring an end to the remnants of what, for lack of a better way of putting it, of the fascism of Jim Crow, etc.
2: You know, it's actually kind of fitting that you got your vocal cords warmed up a little bit earlier, Professor K, because this poem,
0: you know, it reads almost like a hymn. Yeah, and I do hope people appreciate that this is a rather lengthy poem. And that we're going to try to address it, we're going to try to recite it together, well, in alternating stanzas, all the way through. I'll just tell everyone, you don't even have to like poetry itself to appreciate the arguments, the ideas, and the sentiments found here. The heart of the promise of America, but also what drives that promise is working people. Black, white, brown In the 30s this is interesting because this actually is part of that movement so when fdr became president there really did begin and i think in part it was his speeches in part it was the influence of leftists whether they were liberals radicals socialists and communists there was a rediscovery of america there was a determination not to turn their backs on the american story but to take back america from the corporate order of the gilded age And so in addition to histories and music, Aaron Copeland, Duke Ellington and others, there was a real sort of re-effort to sort of take back America by literally reclaiming the American story. And there were three poets, at least, I could go on and on. But first of all, there's Archibald MacLeish, well-trained intellectual, you might say, at Yale University. But he wrote a poem which will, by the way, I think be referenced in the course of our reading of this poem. When we get late in the poem to these words... America is a dream. The poet says it was promises. The people say it is promises that will come true. That's a reference to uh, Archibald MacLeish's poem written in a little book-like form titled America Was Promises. We should do that on another occasion when we come back to poetry in the 1930s. And then, of course, there was also a poet who sort of goes from the 19-teens all the way through, probably into the, I want to say the 60s. Carl Sandburg did some great stuff in the 30s and wrote a really interesting full-length book poem titled The People, Yes, which I will just note Tom Frank, the left historian and columnist, wrote a book a year or so ago, two years ago, titled The People Know. What he meant by that is the degree to which the Democrats had really turned their backs And we're denying, if you like, the people's story in favor of a sort of neoliberal elite kind of story. But so much of this is rooted in the 1930s struggle to take back America. A great place to begin. But we haven't decided ahead of time, so I'm going to leave it up to you. I think you teed it up so nicely. Go ahead and kick us off. Okay. Long as you insist. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) When a man starts out with nothing, when a man starts out with his hands, empty but clean, When a man starts out to build a world, he starts first with himself and the faith that is in his heart, the strength there, the will there to build. First in the heart is the dream. Then the
2: mind starts seeking a way. His eyes look out on the world, on the great wooded world, on the rich soil of the world, on the rivers of the world.
0: The eyes see there materials for building. See the difficulties, too, and the obstacles. The hand seeks tools to cut the wood, to till the soil, and harness the power of the waters. Then the hand seeks other hands to help, a community of hands to help. Thus, the dream becomes not one man's dream alone, but a community dream. Not my dreams alone, but our dream. Not my world alone, but your world and my world, belonging to all the hands who build. A long time ago... But not too long ago, ships came from
2: across the sea, bringing the pilgrims and prayer makers, adventurers and booty seekers, free men and indentured servants, slave men and slave masters,
0: all new to a new world, America. With billowing sails, the galleons came, bringing men and dreams, women and dreams. In little bands together, heart reaching out to heart, hand reaching out to hand, They began to build our land. Some were free hands, seeking a greater freedom. Some were indentured hands, hoping to find their freedom. Some were slave hands, guarding in their hearts the seed of freedom. But the word was always there, freedom. Down into
2: the earth went the plow, and the free hands, and the slave hands, and indentured hands, and adventurous hands. Turning the rich soil went the plow, and many hands that planted and harvested the food that fed and the cotton that clothed America. Clang against the trees went the axe into many hands that hewed and shaped the rooftops of America. Splash into the rivers and seas went the boat boatholes that moved and transported America. Crack went the whips that drove the horses across the plains of America. Free hands and slave hands, indentured hands, adventurous hands, White hands and black hands held the plow handles, axe handles, hammer handles, launched the boats and whipped the horses that fed and housed and moved America. Thus together,
0: through labor, all these hands made America. Labor. Out of labor came the villages and the towns that grew to cities. Labor. Out of labor came the rowboats and the sailboats and the steamboats. Came the wagons, stagecoaches. Out of labor came the factories, came the foundries, came the railroads, came the marts and markets, shops and stores, came the mighty products molded, manufactured, sold in shops, piled in warehouses, shipped the wide world over. Out of labor, white hands and black hands, came the dream, the strength, the will, and the way to build America. Now it is me here and you there. Now it's Manhattan, Chicago. Seattle, New Orleans, Boston, and El Paso. And I'll just add, by the way, and this is Harvey K. speaking, Kansas City and Green Bay. (laughs) Now it is the USA.
2: A long time ago, but not too long ago, a man said, All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. His name was Jefferson. There were slaves then. But in their hearts, the slaves believed him too, and silently took for granted that what he said was also meant for them. It was a long time ago, but not so long ago that, Lincoln said, no man is good enough to govern another man
0: without that other's consent. There were slaves then too, but in their hearts the slaves knew what he said must be meant for every human being, else it had no meaning for anyone. Then a man said, Better to die free than to live slaves. He was a colored man who had been a slave, but had run away to freedom. And the slaves knew what Frederick Douglass said was true. With John Brown at Harper's Ferry, Negroes died. John Brown was hung before the Civil War days were dark, and nobody knew for sure when freedom would triumph, or if it would. Thought some, but others knew it had to triumph in those dark days of slavery. Guarding in their hearts the seed of freedom, the slaves made up a song. Keep your hand on the plow. Hold on. That song meant just what it said. Hold
2: on. Freedom will come. Keep your hand on the plow. Hold on. Out of war it came. Bloody and terrible. But it came. Some there were, as always, who doubted that the war would end right. That the slaves would be free. Or that the Union would stand. But now we know how it all came out. Out of the darkest days for people and a nation, we know now how it came out. There was light when the battle clouds rolled away. There was a great wooded land and men united as a nation.
0: America is a dream. The poet says there was promises. The people say it is promises that will come true. The people do not always say things out loud, nor write them down on paper. The people often hold great thoughts in their deepest hearts and sometimes only blunderingly express them, haltingly and stumbling say them, and faultily put them into practice. The people do not always understand each other, but there is, somewhere there, always the trying to understand and the trying to say, you are a man, together we are building our land. America Land created in common,
2: dream nourished in common. Keep your hand on the plow, hold on. If the house is not yet finished, don't be discouraged, builder. If the fight is not yet won, don't be weary, soldier. The plan and the pattern is here, woven from the beginning into the warped and woof of America, that all men are created equal. No man is good enough to govern another man
0: without his consent. Better die free than live slaves. Who said those things? Americans. Who owns those words? America. Who is America? You, me, we are America. To the enemy who would conquer us from without, we say no. To the enemy who would divide and conquer us from within, we say no. Freedom, brotherhood, democracy, to all the enemies of these great words, we say no. A long time ago, An enslaved people heading toward
2: freedom made up a song. Keep your hand on the plow. Hold on. The plow plowed a new furrow across the field of history. And to that furrow, the freedom seed was dropped. From the seed, a tree grew. Is growing. Will ever grow. That tree is for everybody. For all America. For all the world. May its branches spread and shelter grow until all races and all people know its shade. Keep your hand on the plow. Hold on. Take that, DeSantis. My brother, I got to ask you, whenever you did the poetry pivots in your classroom, yeah. that's a history lesson, that's a pump-up speech, it's a call to solidarity. That's what Langston Hughes did. What was the response in your, in your classroom?
0: The first thing to know is that I got to the point where I realized, even though students might say, oh my God, I have to read poetry out loud, I also came to realize that most students really do want to perform. They just can't admit to it. So what I would often do is I would say, look, you know, we're all in this together. So I would do the first stanza with the idea that if I could do it, you could do it. And I think I may have mentioned to you as a consequence, I actually went on for two groups of senior students, I had them perform a play by Norman Corwin, a play written in 1941. We hold these truths. It was a story of the Bill of Rights, and it was a dramatization, but it was a very good one. It lasted about an hour, and if, you know, I can sure the students are like, "How the hell are we going to do this? I got to perform." But I told them, "Look, you're the actors. I'm the director. I'm going to make you repeat it until it sounds right." And I made it a point of using the whole semester. And I think, I think it worked. I mean, they all had a great time and they bonded in ways that, that even the students who may have felt outside of it at first, it worked with them. So similarly, you know, I don't know if you and I are the greatest reciters of poetry, but I hope the Tuesday audience for Take Back America at least understands that we don't do this to be performers. We do this because we want to take back America and we want to take back America with the words of those who were even more determined, perhaps even than we are, but I doubt people could be more determined than you and I. <laughs> I mean, Langston Hughes, when we get to Archibald MacLeish, when we get to Carl Sandburg, when we go back to Thomas Paine, when we come through to Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln, you know, I mean, these folks were determined to hold on to America and to take it back to take it back from the powerful, the pious, the prestigious, the the rich. And we're facing crisis in America. I mean, I don't know if people are aware of it. I'm sure our listeners are. You know, poetry is a way of getting at that. And I would tell people that if they liked what they heard, but thought you and I weren't the best at performing it, <laughs> I'd ask them, how about this? How about you guys go out and get the poem, either Let America Be America Again or Freedom's Plow, and you try and recite it and send us the send us the audio maybe we can play a little bit of it right hearts of why not i would absolutely love to do that we talk
2: about at the beginning of this thing how you know we've got a radical progressive playbook and we should go back to it and i think there's also something that's really important with saying those words from those radicals of the past hearing that from you you know hearing that from yourself it does do something i think even within your own radical spirit yeah
0: right Did we start with common sense? Thomas Paine a long time ago came forward. Yeah, well, here we are. And in weeks ahead, and we have many weeks ahead, I hope, we're going to cover poetry. We're going to cover politics. We're going to cover all these things. We haven't even gotten into the post-World War II period. And we may even go back in time. We're not anal about chronology, right? You take us on that
2: walk, Professor K. I just got done last week. I sent you those pictures. I went to the Harry Truman Library here in Independence. They have done an excellent job with that place. They, for the first time since I've been there, finally made you ask some questions.
0: Harry Truman is not known as a progressive, but if we do anything by Harry Truman, by the way, he gave some really good speeches in 48 when he surprised everyone and actually beat Thomas Dewey for the presidency. But may not realize it. And he was pushed effectively from below and from other Democrats. But he was the one who first really created a civil rights commission to secure these rights. Even Harry Truman, we can find a way to redeem his best work. (laughs) How's that? But more importantly, in days ahead, we should probably, we should probably keep in mind. Martin Luther King Jr. We should keep in mind A. Philip Randolph, who we have touched on before. We're going to touch on him again. We've got maybe Walter Ruther, the labor leader. and We've got lots of folks coming up.
2: Let's just keep taking back America, Harvey K. How about that, my brother? You bet.
0: Conditions are ideal. Professor K, where can folks find you on the Twitters? Harvey, H-A-R-V-E-Y, initial J-K-A-Y-E. That's the only social media other than, say, email, which is old-fashioned stuff. Anyhow,
2: Let's go win this, y'all. Let's go do that thing. Let's go take back America. Harvey K., what a beautiful callback that was. Thank you. Professor K., let's chat next week. You bet. I'm looking
0: forward to it already.
1: Well, there's no...